this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm anand krishnan your host for today in the wake of the return of the taliban a lot of attention has focused on china's strategy to afghanistan and what china's role will be in the new afghanistan under the taliban china was one of the first countries to say it stands ready to work with the new taliban regime while beijing's official media has been celebrating the us withdrawal saying it points to more evidence of american decline what is likely to be beijing's afghan strategy is it going to take up a new role or remain cautious and limit itself to economic activities there and what of china's long standing concerns of taliban's links to jihadist groups including the east turkestan islamic movement which beijing has blamed for recent attacks in its xinjiang region which borders afghanistan and will the new situation in afghanistan see a deepening china pakistan nexus and what will be the implications for india helping us answer these questions is andrew small a senior transatlantic fellow at the jermal marshall fund who studies chinese foreign policy with a focus on afghanistan and pakistan thank you so much andrew for joining the hindus podcast today delighted to do it uh, to begin with andrew um of course i should tell our readers that uh you have a fantastic book out uh the china pakistan axis which for me is is the go to bible of sorts to make sense of china pakistan relations and you do have this fantastic chapter uh, on china's dealings with the taliban uh when they were in power in 1996-2001 uh, before we go back to that i was just uh, curious to get your thoughts on what you made of china's uh, response so far to the events in kabul the day we're speaking august 17th it's quite interesting that uh, reports suggest there are only three foreign embassies still functioning in kabul that's china russia and pakistan the chinese foreign ministry on august 16th said it stands ready to work with the new taliban government which seems to be the first major country to have made a statement like that how do you assess their response so far i mean you already had these signals being given particularly with the the meeting that took place in july between mullah barada and and wang yi which was this unusually well publicized interaction between the two sides um china has been kind of preparing for a change over here in in a way that is more serious than 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 had been the case in in the preceding period and i mean as we'll talk about today they've had this long standing relationship with the taliban and and were one of the few actors to deal with them even in exile in in pakistan uh, but th- th- this is a context in which they uh the the sorts of demands and questions and issues that they've been raising with the taliban in in, in various forms over the preceding period there's a sort of intensification of of that now and they've they've been willing with this meeting in tianjin and and some of the statements that you've been hearing from the foreign ministry to send some kind of positive political signals they 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 want to have a a benign relationship with the taliban this is something that at this stage they can they can offer in certain respects just just this kind of diplomatic signaling for for the moment um but i i don't think it changes a lot of the apprehensions that that are there but um it's indicative particularly keeping the embassy open in the manner that they did that they have a certain level of confidence in 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 the way that some of these early dynamics with with them will be will be handled and to some extent even how the taliban were going to handle um the situation in in Kabul more broadly in your book you do mention how uh, some of those apprehensions have kind of dominated uh, how china looks at dealing with the taliban 
specifically the presence of jihadist groups that have had uh, links with the Taliban and have been active uh, in China's Xinjiang region, including the ETIM. Uh, in the Chinese state media this week, there's been a lot of uh, exaltation at, at the U.S. withdrawal, at the manner of its withdrawal, uh, a lot of pleasure uh, at, at how, how the U.S.'s reputation has suffered. But beyond all of that, uh, beyond those optics, Andrew, uh, do you think those concerns and apprehensions still very much remain as far as, as China is concerned? They do. And I, I think certainly you have seen this kind of well-prepared propaganda operation on the Chinese side to, to make the most of the US withdrawal and, and, and try to use this uh, to, to indicate this should be treated as a signal to other US allies and, and all of this. I mean, they've been preparing in one way as well for the US withdrawal uh, for some time. I, I, I don't think they had also anticipated it would be conducted in such a disastrous uh, manner. And so there's a certain amount of additional uh, hay that they can make with this, but they didn't want to see this happen. I mean, I, I think that's very clear. They did not want to see the US withdraw in uh, advance of some kind of a political settlement in Afghanistan. They wanted to see the Taliban somewhat constrained by the need to reach political agreement with other parties in Afghanistan, and to some extent being a little bit more uh, beholden to the international, other international actors as uh, as well. They, they, they just wanted to see them a little bit hemmed in so that on the issues that China is most concerned about, there'd be a bit more leverage over them. I, I think the concern is that they're taking power now in a maximally emboldened fashion, that they think that they don't really have to make particularly serious uh, moves and concessions on, on a lot of the issues that, that China's concerned about. And so I think there's more anxiety about the manner in which this has has, has happened. Um, this is why China had been talking for a while about responsible withdrawals and is now talking about an irresponsible withdrawal. They, they genuinely did not want to see this happen in, in the manner that it, it, it did. And now they have to make the best of it. And those concerns that um, were there all the way back in the late 90s have not gone away. Um, it's pretty much a read across that you can get if you go back and look at the exchanges between Lu Shulin, who was the Chinese ambassador in Pakistan at the time with Mullah Omar, um, and some of the exchanges that you just saw Wangi and, and Mullah Radha. Uh, it, it, some of these are, are, are the same concerns, which, which are essentially, uh, I mean, they're, they're calling them ETIM still. Um, it's, it's the TIP either group would, would call itself, but, but certainly Uyghur fighters operating in territory that the Taliban control, that there's a permissive environment for them, that um, certainly China doesn't expect to have them handed over or killed or the sorts of things they would expect from most neighboring governments, but they do expect some kind of a squeeze on their activities. And they never fully got that in in the last period of, of the Taliban's rule, they, they they basically told them to set up in camps with some of the other Central Asians and not to run their own autonomous facilities and and, and things. But uh, I think this is still going to be a test question between between the two sides. And I think it's expanded a little bit as well. I think if you look at the groups that that directly threaten China. And not so much the Chinese mainland or or, or, or anything in Xinjiang itself, um, but particularly soft Chinese targets in the rest of the region. You have, of course, the TTP, the Pakistani Taliban, that have conducted operations against Chinese targets. I think if you've seen the recent developments with CPAC um, and the Chinese investments in, in Pakistan, there's been far more anxiety about the security situation there in the last few months than there was in the last few years. And they are, I think, on the Chinese side, attributing this 
context to some of the wider regional con uh, context developments next door. They're concerned as well that um, effectively Afghanistan could be used as strategic depth for the Pakistani Taliban and that that would have implications too for their investments and, and, and security uh, interests in the country. I mean, the attack that we saw a few weeks ago in, in Darsu was, was probably the largest loss of life you've seen in a terrorist attack um, on 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 uh, of Chinese personnel in, in Pakistan, full stop. Uh, so these are all the residual issues that are still there. And they know that the Taliban are prepared to make political promises on all of these questions. But the question is, what does this actually translate into on the ground? Because in the period in which they've been raising all of these concerns, you know, they still see Uyghur fighters showing up in Haqqani network camps and uh, all of these sorts of things. So, I mean, the, 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 the question is still going to be for, for them, like, what it, what is it that the Taliban are actually willing to do in, in that regard when they're actually in power? They can make different sorts of excuses in a war context, um, but there's a, a different standard if they're the government of the country. You did mention, Andrew, this meeting um, on July 28th in Tianjin that Foreign Minister Wang Yi had with this Taliban delegation. And the readout did seem to flag that China asked them to draw a line in terms of their dealing with terrorist groups, Wang Yi mentioned the ETIM or TIP, uh, and you also had China kind of suggest that they would continue economic support, infrastructure projects and the like. Uh, so do you think that in terms of China's approach to Afghanistan will be more of the same where they are likely to be involved in economic projects where obviously they see their interests secured uh, and perhaps uh, using that to kind of uh, pressure the Taliban to take action uh, where they want uh, action to be taken. Uh, and so far also, Andrew, you have a lot of Chinese experts in the press say China isn't going to go in in a big way uh, to fill in any security vacuum. So do you see continuity more than any dramatic change uh, in how China approaches Afghanistan? So, so certainly, exactly as you say, on, on the security front, um, there is an obsessive focus with on, on the Chinese side, on, on graveyard of empires, this is a strategic trap, all of these sorts of things. They, they, they do not want to be sucked in to a, a serious security role in the country. So um, I, I, would, I would see very little change on, on, on that front, um, aside from and can go into the details on, on some of the counterterrorism activities that the Chinese were conducting in, in Badakhshan and the border dimensions and, and, and things like that. But um, I, I, I think anything uh, broader would, would be extremely limited and they'll be extremely wary of that. I think the question on the economic side is what kind of economic involvement would, would China want? And I mean, if you look at three kinds of issues, mineral extraction, Belt and Road, and then the kind of short-term dimensions of a, a new government coming to power and, and needing, you know, outright aid and 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 handouts. I think, of course, a Taliban-led government, and, and this is one of the reasons China is going to be concerned about what level of legitimacy is a new government able to establish. They're not going to get the same kind of financial backing that um, the last government was was able to get from, from the West. And this is a government that's highly dependent in Afghanistan on external revenues um, uh, and external financing. So how are they going to... Um, how are they going to finance themselves as a state? There's a version in which you have a kind of 
criminal drug economy, which, of course, China would not be very comfortable with seeing in its backyard either. So if it's going to be economically viable, um, then you're going to need some of these larger scale investments. You're going to need the kind of uh, major revenue generating um, investments of, 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 of the sort that you would have with the copper mine and, and, and some, of the, some of the other uh, investments that might take place in the country. These are long term. They require a lot of infrastructure to be economically viable. Uh, they require simply a commitment um, from from the investors that that they that they're going to kind of follow this through for a period of many years. And the question on China's part is, uh, you know, how will the security context be? Will political power really be consolidated? Or will this be another round of kind of fictitious calm for a while that gets reversed and you have civil war X number of years down the line? All of these are going to be questions that, that, that China has. Um, I think they can certainly for a new government come in with some direct quick fix assistance and, and, and things like that. I, I think that's entirely uh, feasible. They they have given limited aid in financial terms um, by, by by comparison with with any of the other outside actors. But you know they can they can give some small sums of of, of assistance there, um, and and there would be certain kind of more modest projects that they could move ahead with. I think they want to be able to dangle the promise of uh, larger scale investments, um, but I would focus very heavily on what actually happens in practice there because it will suit both a new government and the Chinese to pretend that there's a lot going on there. Uh, but in practice, I, I, I think we'll, be, uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I think China sees this as stability first investment later. Um, I think then as well, the Belt and Road, how comfortable China is really going to be with putting in place our kind of expanded set of infrastructure connections when they are not when they're very worried about this being a kind of militant hub in the region is another major question. Um, there is a reason that China has not constructed serious direct infrastructure links across the border through the Wakhan Corridor. They're quite happy to see Afghanistan kind of contained. They're quite happy to see buffers there. I don't think they're going to be moving with such alacrity to build uh, deeper infrastructure connections across the region and, and make sure that Afghanistan is deeply connected again until they're confident about the situation that's emerging there. So I think we'll also get a lot of speculation about Afghanistan, the Belt and Road and lines on maps of the usual sort being drawn again. Um, and again on that, I, I think there'll be some, uh, the, 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 there'll be a, a level of caution on, on, on China's part um, and and the, the, they'll, they'll give this a bit of time before they they're really willing to make uh, these, these these commitments on on the ground on that front as well. There has been some talk Andrew uh, repeatedly of uh, China and Pakistan offering to extend CPAC to Afghanistan. How much of this is just fanciful? Uh, how much of this is actually uh, going to be translated into concrete changes on the ground? We've heard so much about this, I think, for several years now, uh, but nothing really seems to have happened on that front. What have you made of that? You did mention that you were going to get more of this BRI-related talk. But in terms of CPEC specifically uh, and its relation to Afghanistan, do you see anything on that front at all? I mean, I I, I think it, it is possible that there will be some um, kind of modest progress on that. I, I again, th th this is where these questions of, uh, for instance, uh, TTP uh, relations with 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 the Afghan Taliban start to weigh. I, again, how how free flowing do you want the connections between Afghanistan and Pakistan uh, to be uh, in this context? It was 
a TTP-likely facilitated attack on uh, on 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 the Chinese uh, workers in 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 Dasu. So again, if you're thinking about Afghanistan as a sort of rear operating base for the Pakistani Taliban, how how much do you want to commit to really deeply building those infrastructure connections? I, I think there's still going to be a question uh, there, but it's clearly a qualitatively different relationship that's going to be there between uh, Kabul and Islamabad, Kabul and and and, and Pindi on, on on this. So um, the the it, it, I think it will be possible to to, to move ahead with, with with some of these interconnections in in principle. As you say, this is another thing that's been talked about for for quite a while, but. Um, the, the, there are there are just some of these junctures where you, you the political signaling around this is strong, but the execution on on the ground um, uh, often lags very very significantly behind, and for a very good reason on on the Chinese side. And so I I I think I would expect to see more political signaling. The the political relations are obviously going to be. Um, uh, stronger than they were in, in 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 the past on this, but I think there'll be continued reasons for the Chinese to be uh, a little tentative a, a, about this. I mean, of course, it depends on some of these projects. It's a bit easier for uh, you know for road building projects and things. You don't actually have so many Chinese workers directly on these projects. Um, I mean, when you were looking at roads being built through Baluchistan, for instance, to connect Gwadar up, uh, a highly insecure environment, but it was Pakistanis who were being killed um, in the process of constructing um, the, these roads. It wasn't Chinese workers. Um, there are different kinds of projects. I mean, Chinese, of course, have been directly involved in uh, road building projects in, in, in Afghanistan and killed in significant numbers there as, as, as well. Um, uh, so again, I mean, I, I think this will th th this will feature. There will be there will be discussions about this, um, but I, I think there's just going to be a question of the, the the speed of any movement on 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 any of these things in practical terms. Uh, coming, Andrew, to China Pakistan relations um, and how the two all weather friends, as they like to call themselves, uh, are they in sync and completely on the same page in your view uh, in terms of. Uh, engaging with Afghanistan at this moment. You had uh, Pakistan's foreign minister, Qureshi, in China a few days before the Taliban delegation's visit in July. Uh, and you had the Chinese foreign ministry say that they were uh, they came up with a plan to take joint actions and coordinate their strategies. In your view, uh, how important is Pakistan for China? These are contexts where China becomes quite reliant on, on Pakistan. Um, they're not on the Chinese side, uh, then they're not hugely capable of analyzing and making judgments on all the subtleties of what's going on within the Taliban, in intra-Afghan politics, on all of these sorts of things. Um, if Even if you look back at their involvement in the reconciliation processes and things, China was not an actor in this that was able to play a very kind of direct role. Uh, mediating role. It was able to facilitate the talks taking place um, at all, but in terms of its involvement in the minutiae, th this is not their comfort zone. This is not an, an area that they have um, that they have very much uh, depth on. So, um, and particularly in a fast moving situation like this, uh, they, they need the Pakistanis. Um, they don't altogether rely on them. They, they have their reservations. They, they, I don't think they think that their agendas are in perfect sync at, at all on, 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 on these questions. But I think over 
particularly the last decade. They've, they've figured out ways to be uh, relatively joined up on, on this, I think a little bit more so than they, than, than, than they were on, on some of these questions. And um, I, I, I think they will be working in pretty close coordination on, on, on these issues. If, if you look at some of the, the statements that have been coming out from the Pakistanis in the last 24 hours as well, um, there's a lot of mirroring of positions that you're you're, you're seeing from Pakistan, from China, and in a certain way from from Russia actually on 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 some of these issues too. Um, and I think they need the Pakistanis, uh, the, the Chinese, if they want to nudge the Taliban on on all of the issues that they're concerned about. There are, of course, direct links, and there there is. Uh, leverage. There are incentives that they can offer the Taliban, uh, but but ultimately uh, the the reason for this relationship and and the reason that China is able to have a certain quality of relationship with with, with the Taliban uh, is Pakistan um, still as well quite heavily, and and they 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 will still both on these kind of wider strategic questions of you know does the Taliban at least have the semblance of building a government that is a national government uh, or or, or or um, and and simply the conduct of the Taliban. I mean, China talks about them building a positive image and and things like that. They don't want to be dealing with '96 all over again. They don't want a prior government um, in their backyard uh, that's operating under sanctions and um, and 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 in kind of in dire economic straits as a result. So there are things that they want to see that are strategic interests that, that they have, that they think that the Pakistanis should be um, uh, willing to, to help facilitate, and that are, I think, have become more consistent with Pakistani interests um, uh, as well. And that's aside from the very specific questions, again, going back to TIP, the Uyghurs, and, and any of these things where, again, they, they, they kind of they, they they do have some additional need um, for Pakistan on, on these questions to be willing to, to, to squeeze a bit. A final question, Andrew, going back to 96, obviously the big concern uh, many people have, including in India, is does this mean uh, a return for Afghanistan to those dark ages uh, and those uh, events that all of us remember from the first Taliban regime uh, of its treatment of minorities, treatment of women, uh, public executions and the like? Uh, how did China deal with that back then and how would you think China would deal with it right now? Is it more about China staying out completely uh, of, of Afghanistan's internal affairs as long as its interests are protected? Or do you think uh, China may be willing to stand with the rest of the world if, God forbid, Afghanistan goes back uh, to, to what we saw in 1996? I mean, I think China cares about this from the perspective, again, of do you have a government there that's able to establish some kind of international legitimacy? Uh, they They don't necessarily care about the substance of of what the Taliban have have, have been doing and, and and do in in that regard, they may find it distasteful. I I I, I know that um, uh, Chinese officials uh, uh, do and 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 have, but um, as in so many other contexts, this the, this is something that they would would, would tend to keep out of. Um, but they do know that on a certain scale, it it affects the way the rest of the world treats the government there. And so that certainly matters. Uh, if you go back to the turn of the millennium, the uh, it was actually the destruction of the Bamiyan Buddhas that set the relationship between uh, China and the Taliban back by some time. I mean, they, 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 they lent on them quite uh, hard on, on, on that issue and, 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 and lobbied very actively on, on this question. Um, and 
you know, you had instances of then during that phase, um, after they went ahead with it, the Taliban sending delegations to Beijing and finding all their meetings had been cancelled and, and 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 things like that. Um, so I mean, there are steps that, that the Taliban can can take that uh, that the, the Chinese will uh, react to in 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 that way. There's, uh, I, I think it's still a fundamental concern that you have in the Taliban a uh, regime that um, uh, is kind of in some fundamental way ideologically hostile. Um, I, I think they they know that the Taliban also, for pragmatic reasons, need to develop a, a decent working relationship um, with with them. But I, I think plenty of actors on the Chinese side think that in the end, you know, when it comes to their um, agenda for Xinjiang, when it comes to the level of support for Islamic militants around the world, they're 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 quite deeply and fundamentally at odds on on some of these questions. This is not a pragmatic, secular Muslim government of the sort that they've been used to kind of handling in in so many other uh, parts of the world. Um, And so I think of course, it affects the quality of, of the relationship that the two sides have. They, they in, in lots of ways, they don't trust each other. You get these stories of the early Taliban delegations who would, you know, come to Beijing and um, uh, bring their own food, bring their own bread, refuse to come out, and and, and all of these sorts of things. And I, I, I think it sort of captures a bit of the the, the flavor of of these interactions that they're still quite. Quite, quite awkward. And um, again, China will be ruthlessly pragmatic about these these, these things, and and they will uh, they're, they're not going to kick up a fuss about um, anything specific that the Taliban uh, do, and, and unless there's you know some really direct uh, effect on on Chinese interests. But I think they do want to see something that looks quite different from the Taliban's uh, rule last time, even if just for pragmatic reasons too. Fascinating. It's still early days, of course. We'll keep coming back to this. Andrew Small, who's a senior transatlantic fellow at the General Marshall Fund, and the author, uh, again, I must emphasize, of this fantastic book, The China-Pakistan Axis. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining the Hindu podcast today. Thanks very much, and thanks for the kind words on the book, too. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.